What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. this time of year because not only because it's fall and the air is crisp and it's beautiful but we get the opportunity to honor our pastors and um, although you know I'm hoping we're all honoring them all year round um, the month of October is actually set aside for pastor appreciation month Um, we just want to say we honor you guys and we thank you um we see the sacrifice and you know what I think is so cool about these guys like the sacrifice was big but they would never be like oh my gosh the sacrifice because they love what they do and they love that they get to be here Sunday after Sunday and we get to be a part of that and they get they lead so well So if you would stand up and honor our pastors, let's give them a big round of applause. We love you guys. And I know they love this. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Just as I planned it. Thank you, Andrea. No, we, for real, thank you. It is... um, that's always probably one of the least favorite things for us, but at the same time, we love it um, because Andrea is 100% right. I mean, we, um, this is our life, and it's not the thing that's our life. It's, it's you guys. Like, this is our life. You are our life. This is something that God has called us to do and given us, gosh, given us the privilege to be able to do. And, um, and for us, we, we were out of town last week, and first of all, I want to give props I know Amy was making it happen. Andrea preached a fire word. I heard about um, the dream team just absolutely just killed it across the board. And, and, um, and so when we're away, it, we, we literally have no fear that things aren't going to go well. But we just have that thing like, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how everyone's, you know, we just, you just can't help it. You know, we're on East Coast time, so I'm looking, I'm like, all right, it's about, uh, about this time. This should be going on over there. I wonder how they're, you know, just we can't help it. And so we, we miss one week and we're back and literally, I was telling Kara this morning, it feels like, it feels like I've been gone for a month. It feels like I haven't seen people in a month and it's, it's driving me nuts. Like I can't help it and we can't help just to be able to get back and see faces. How was your week? Hug, connect, talk, you know, and just, because that, that's what you do in community. If it's, if it's just about the thing that we do and if it's just about showing up and if it's just about convenience, then we miss, gosh, 75% of what this all could be. And um, so from Pastor Kara and myself, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Um, this is the greatest um, honor of our life, that we get to do this with you. And um, so we love you. And that's the transition from that to this. Was that good? Okay. Um, uh, we have, if, if you have missed some of the information that's significantly been communicated the last couple of weeks, um, God has, as he has with Convo Church and with us from the beginning, has opened up a ridiculous, miraculous door for our church. For the last, let's see, I'm thinking 113 weeks, we have, we have arrived early. We have set up so that there is a place for people to come. We've, we've loved every second of it. We've been excited about it. We've enjoyed it. We've bled. We've sweat. We've cried and laughed. And then we've torn it all down and packed it away because it's not our place. But, um, but God has miraculously opened up a permanent location for Convo Church that we are incredibly excited about. It will be smack dab in the heart of Midtown. It's a place that literally has, literally has already been built out for us, literally. You know, the, why do I keep saying literally? Good gosh. 
Well, you know how when you, you, you watch HGTV and they're like, it's moving ready. You know, you're like, well, moving ready. That sound, this place is, is moving ready. Almost said literally again. Oh, there it is. It's moving ready for us. So we, next week will be our last Sunday here. And, uh, and let's, let's end it well. Like this, let's blow this place up. That's a metaphor. Uh, on our last week here. And because even, even though for us, what were we here? Like two months? Three? Who's counting? Like we, we were here for a short period of time. And when we even came, when God opened up the opportunity for this place, we were like, man, we can, we can make this work. We can, we can grow here. For, we can do this for a while. And then the second week, we're driving in. And I just, I don't know, it felt like something dropped in my spirit. Like, man, we're not going to be here very long. But then I just kind of moved on, didn't think about it until we got contacted by another church who said, hey, we, uh, we are, we're, you know, redoing some things, we're re-strategizing, and, and we'd really love to see a church step into the place that we've invested so much into. We're like, we will pray about it. And we did, we talked, we did the due diligence, we met with our overseers, we're talking, we're looking at everything, and we realized not only is this a massive, massive blessing and a huge step in the right direction for where we're going as a church, uh, it also places us geographically where God spoke to us when we first moved here, not knowing the region. God said, go to the, the middle of the region, and, we will, and I will expand out from there. And, uh, and that's even before I knew that, like, the terminology of our region, that middle, midtown, I didn't know. We didn't know anything. And so God is just good, and we're excited about that. And, and you know what's cool is that if, if you focus on building people, God will focus on building the church. That's, that's a promise from, from God. He goes, I will build my church. That means that we don't have to fret about building our church. All we have to do is build people. All we have to do is love people. All we have to do is do our best through the love and the grace of God to help people take one more step in the direction that God's trying to call them. And be faithful even when sometimes people take steps back or lateral steps. It's okay, you just keep building people, build relationships, build community, and God will build his church. And that's what he has been faithful to do. We've seen the blessing of God on our church. We've seen the favor of God on our church. And, I, and, and I'd like to think that's because we do some things right, but I also believe at the end of the day, it's not even about us. It's about what God is doing through people who are willing to say yes. If you are willing to say yes to God, even when you don't know what he's asking you to say yes to, God will use your life for amazing, amazing things. If you are a Christian and you are bored, you're doing something miserably wrong. Because all you have to do is be a willing vessel and God will take you on the journey of a lifetime. It is the most fulfilling, most exciting life that you can possibly live. And if you're going to be a part of Combo Church, buckle your seatbelts because that's the ride that we're on. Can somebody say amen? Yeah. Amen. Now today, like today is exciting because we are, we're getting ready to go into the season that for those of you who have been around Combo for a while, you know what Heart for the House is. And so Heart for the House is, a, is an annual focus that we come into in, in the fall where we begin as a church to prepare first with, we, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so that doesn't start yet. So you're like, what the heck, what's fasting? Does that mean I don't get to eat something? We'll talk about that more. But it's actually a very strong biblical practice. One that in my life I have not always been very good at. And I say always because that still applies now. And it's not something that I look forward to, but when I do it, I enjoy what God does because literally it becomes one of the most powerful uh, uh, heart-opening, spirit-opening experiences that you can have with God trying to communicate with you and move through your life. And so at the end of our heart for the house, the reason we call it that is because we are asking God to continue to give us his heart for his house. Sometimes we're like, God, give, give me my heart for blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's, we don't want our heart. We want God's heart. Because God's heart is the thing that's going to direct us to do and to be and to act through the way that he sees things, through the way that he would do things, through the things that motivate him. And so heart for the house for us, at the end of those 21 days, we come together as a church and we literally, we sow financially into the upcoming year with that heart for the house offering. And so we're actually going to be kicking it off today with a little bit of an introduction because we want to make sure that we get this, this right from the very beginning. So if you are new today and your biggest pet peeve or your biggest fear is showing up at church and hearing pastor talk about money, well, welcome. Here you go. Uh, but you'll know. You can, you can ask somebody next to you. We're not, we don't do pressure. That's not us. That's not our DNA. 
That's not our culture. That's not how we handle it because nothing is supposed to be that way. In the kingdom of God, there's never, ever been a thing about pressure. God doesn't pressure you into a relationship. He doesn't pressure you into salvation. He doesn't pressure you into the purposes and the calling that he has for your life. He doesn't pressure you into giving. He doesn't pressure you into serving. He provides a way that you can walk in. But we're going to talk about something today that's not about money. It's not about uh, your particular finances. It's not about any of that. But it's the thing that if you get it, it will unlock absolutely everything in your life. Is that okay? Do I have permission to move forward today? You're like, well, you got the microphone, so it's not like if I say no, you're going to stop. Anyway, that's true. That's true. So this, this is my heart. So again, if you're a guest, you just sit back, relax, and hopefully I think you'll get something out of this for your life, regardless of whether this is your home or not. If this is your home, this is where, this is where as your pastor, I, this is me. I love it when, when somebody sees something in me that is not where it could be, and they come up to me and they poke me in the chest. How many of you, how many of you know about that, the poke in the chest? Where they're like, oh yeah, you are not living up to what you could be living up to. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what was that? Are you challenging my ability to whatever? You know, and then, but, but I'm listening then. I'm like, well, well what is it? Because now I feel like I need to prove you wrong. That's just me. That's not you. That's me. But at the same time, when it comes to giving, and I'm going to preface this word more later, we have the opportunity as a church to be able to get to a place where we can say with full confidence in everything that we are that says, I trust God. Because when you begin to not just say it, but when you begin to walk in the reality in every facet of your life, you're able to say, I trust God, then something is about to be unlocked that is going to transform things in your life that you could have never even imagined. But here's the thing. We can't trust God conditionally. We can't trust God conditionally. You know what? That's not going to be the church that we are. That's not, we're not going to be the church that says, God, use us within our own parameters. Use me, God. Stretch me as long as I'm still pretty much comfortable with what you're trying to stretch. Do it within the confine. Here, I'm actually going to put it on some bullet points for you, Lord, and give you my rider so that when you're trying to do things through me, you know what I can do and what I can't do, you know, because, because the Bible says God's never going to give me more than I can handle. The Bible doesn't say that, by the way. You're like, well, there's a scripture. It's talking about sexual temptation. It's not talking about your life. And sexual temptation, we're not preaching about that today, but it says that God will always give you a way out. He will never allow you to go through more in that context than you can handle. He will always provide a way out. And I preached that 72,000 times when we did youth ministry for over a decade. But that's not what we're talking about. In life in general, yes, God will give everything to you that is beyond what you can handle because that's why you need him. God doesn't want you to need him for fire insurance and then you live your comfortable life. God has called you to live a life beyond yourself where it takes reliance on him to even get the breath that you need for the next move. And if you are not living challenged in that realm, then you have not even yet begun to tap into the life that God has called you to live. I'm not saying you're not saved. It ain't about that. I'm not saying that God doesn't love you. It's not about that. But I am saying if you are not living a challenged, stretched life as a Jesus follower, you do not fully know who God is yet. We'll get, we'll get in there. All right, can I read some, let me, let me read some scripture to you. So today is kind of like, if, if we're doing part one for all the note takers, I love note takers. Do you have any note takers here today? You can do it on your phone. You got your, yeah, so this is technically, I guess this would be part one of the heart for the house that we're doing. And really, this is actually the first time, this will be the first time in almost two years of our existence that we are going to go into a dedicated time to teach and preach on what the word of God says about giving and finances. Next week, actually, it's not just next week, a couple of times over these next few weeks, we're actually going to be doing a panel of people just, we got testimonies, y'all. We got people, and if, and if that's, if you're one who has had a testimony of understanding what God has done in your life, can I get an amen from somebody? Come on, God, God is doing things. When God does something in your life, he doesn't just do it so you can feel good about it. He does it so you can tell somebody about it. That's actually one of the things that completely diminishes the power of the enemy of the kingdom of God is when God's people begin to talk about the things that God has done. 
because it, it automatically begins to prove the, the, the fake reality that the enemy tries to portray of how tough life is, how hard the world is, how God's not there, he's never gonna, no. When God's people begin to talk about what God has done, it shuts the mouth of the enemy and it empowers people to believe for more. And that's what God's trying to get at. And I don't know what type of pastor I would be if we didn't, in the culture of our church, did not talk about something that Jesus talked about in his ministry more than anything else. Did you know that God talked, Jesus, through his earthly ministry, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer and faith combined. 20% of the parables that he taught were about money. We're like, why? Why was it so important to him? Was, was Jesus on a capital campaign? No, because money tells the truth. Money tells the truth. People can talk about, this is my passion, this is my values, these are my priorities, this is what matters to me. But there's nothing else in life that you can actually trace back and see where people spend, where people splurge, where people save, where people budget, where people don't. The Bible actually goes as far as to say, whatever has, this is my paraphrase, whatever has your wallet has your heart. And you're like, I love God, I trust God. All right, let's pull it up on the bank account and let's see what you trust. Because most people trust Visa, MasterCard, and American Express before they trust God. Because that's the first thing they give to every time they get paid. Woo, I'm getting way ahead of myself. What kind of pastor would I be if we did not unlock the truth of God's word in your life so that you could actually live the life that God has called you to live? No more, we're not gonna create a culture where we allow the Christian Jesus-following people of this church to live in a broken lifestyle of poverty then just say, well, this is just what it's supposed to be for me. So if I'm already starting to touch the nerve in somebody about, wow, here comes a prosperity gospel, then good. I'm glad I got that nerve touched. Hopefully you'll lean in and we'll see what God has to say about things. But before we even talk about money, we're going to talk about something else. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, if you will. I'm actually going to be reading this from, uh, some of y'all going to like this, from the New King James Version. John, it's, not, it's the new. It's not, the, it's not just the King James. It's the new, but it's got some of those letters in there. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. And I'm just going to read verse 1 and 2 of this. And y'all can follow along. I'll have it on the screen behind me as well. This is where I always tell people, if you haven't done it yet, download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Everybody needs that. Every human needs that. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. And this, again, is in the New King James Version. It's in, are y'all listening to this? I want you to hear this. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, do you see a theme in this verse? You will be judged. And with the same measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Notice, did anyone hear the word money mentioned at all in this verse? No? Okay, I'm just checking. I want to make sure we're, we're, we're tracking. All right, let me, let me just read, because I want to make sure, what would you say is the emphasis of this verse? Judgment. The, the word judge, judgment, that was used quite a bit in just this, these little two verses. Now, there's a parallel verse to this that I want to take you to that's in the book of Luke. So go with me to, if, you're, if you got your Bible and you're flipping, go to Luke chapter 6. Just keep going a little bit further in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then when you're at Luke, get to chapter 6. Doing a sword drill for anybody that understands what that is. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Now, in this one, I'm going to start off by reading the, the first line of verse 37 and the last line of verse 38. And I want you to see if there's any similarities between that and what we just read before in Matthew 7. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Does that sound familiar? And then the last line of verse 38, it says, And with the same measure you used, it will be measured back to you. That's the, pretty much that's the same sentence as it was saying in Matthew chapter 7, right? Now, here's the thing. In Luke 6, there are a few uh, lines in between. This is what it says. So we already said the, the judge not or you will be judged. Uh, whatever you use it in, that, it will be measured back to you. But this is what it continues to say in between. It says, condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That's a good one, right? That's powerful. Give, somebody say give. Give, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, so somebody tell me, what is the focus of this particular passage? Well, it, technically, it's, still, it's not money. We're not talking about, it said give, but we're not talking about money. Because here's the deal, in Luke chapter 6, if it's not talking about money, but it's talking about giving, then what's the context? The context is talking about give judgment, and judgment will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in your lap. Give forgiveness, and forgiveness will be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shake. What's the press down shaking together? That's so that there's no wasted space in the container so that God can keep pouring it. And guess what? Eventually, there's going to run out of room in the container, and there's, it's going to spill over outside of you. You're like, yeah, I want more forgiveness. Well, then give more forgiveness. What else does this apply to? Everything, because the principle of giving is what God's getting at here. He's not talking about money. He's talking about the principle of giving. If you give condemnation, condemnation will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing in your life. If you give gossip, guess what? It's coming back, get ready. And it's coming back to you in a great measure. If you have opinions and you give them all the time, well then don't be so upset when people give you their opinions of what they don't think and what they don't like. Because you have sowed a seed that is now going to come back to you. And it's going to come back pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. If you give grace, guess what? If you give love, guess what? If you give empathy to others, guess what's going to happen? It's going to come back on you. So does it work with money? Yep. Why? Because it's not about the money, it's about the giving. It's about, it's about why you're doing so because the, the, the principle of giving in the kingdom of God is a spiritual law based on God's law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, which means if, you're, if, you, if you've ever done farming, take a seed, you sow. You put the seed into the ground. That's what sowing is. So you're giving and you will return. This last year, even a couple of months back, whatever, I preached on you know, cultivate your soil and we talked about how uh, Pastor Karen and I were, last year we tried to make a garden. It was miserable. It failed miserably. But this year we cultivated the soil and we planted seed. And, and our tomato plants just won't stop. It's almost now annoying because we're like, how many more months are you going to, like we pick all the red ones. We have dozens of them. We're like, we have too much. We need to give them away. And we go back and then the bush is completely filled with yellow blooms and there's more. I'm like, okay, what's going on? We planted a seed and there are more tomatoes and even jalapenos, praise Jesus, I love jalapenos. And more than we could even imagine. Why? Because we sowed and we have reaped. So if we're not talking about money, if we're not, then what in the world are we talking about? Because the reality is, guys, listen, God does not want your money. What does he want? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And when God has your heart, you will give him everything and it will be a beautiful act of worship and gratitude, not something that is forced and not something that's religious. Not something where a pastor gets up and says, hey, if you don't, you know, if you don't give more, we're not going to be able to pay the bill. And some of you are sitting here wondering, do we have enough money to pay the light bill in here? Well, this isn't our building, and we didn't create the lighting situation. I will tell you, at our new place, it'll be much better. You will be able to see in multiple places of the auditorium. It'll be fantastic. I can't wait for that. But, but when, we, when we say, oh, if you don't give, then we're not going to be able to. Wow, that's so faith-filled, Pastor. Thank you for inspiring purpose in my life through this need-based giving. No, God has no needs. God's church has no needs. Do we really think that our individual tithe is going to change the world? Do you think God is sitting up in heaven saying to himself, if they don't tithe this month, I'm not going to be able to make this happen? No, he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And he wants the things in your life that are most closely connected to your heart, which is why Jesus talks so much about money in his ministry because he knew that money doesn't tell lies. Money tells the truth. And if he can get to the heart of a person through what they believe they possess, then he can get to them for absolutely anything. So, so like I said before, this will be kind of the first time in our, in our church history that we've taught on this. We, when you're a new church, you go through seasons because we're not a church for church people. 
If you're a church person, don't be offended. That doesn't mean we don't like you. But our mission is not to reach church people. Our mission is to reach people who feel like they're far from God and they're disconnected from the kingdom of God. So if that's not you and you're here, congratulations. Welcome to the mission. You get to carry weight and help us make this thing happen and help reach people and bring in the lost and the hurting and the broken and give them a home where they can be themselves and allow God to do something through their life. So throughout the history of a church, you be, as a pastor, you, you pray and you ask God, God, what do you want us to teach our church in this season? What are we ready for? Because sometimes when a baby comes home, you're not cooking up a T-bone steak and giving it to them, are you? No, they need that mush, peas, and carrots. They got to get ready. They got some different nutrients. But as, as a church grows and matures, there are seasons where God begins to say they're ready for this. And that's something that I feel like God was speaking to both of us. God was saying, hey, when it comes to giving, they're ready for this. It's time because your church is going to go where I wanted to go when I know that I've got the heart of the people in your church. All right, okay, God, let's do this. Let's go. You need to understand that when we think about giving in our church, in the context of money, we, there, throughout the kingdom of God, I've seen this so many times, there's this mentality that says that I, I give so I can get. I give so God will bless me. And, and the thing is, is that that's, that's not the heart of God, but that's the byproduct of being a generous person. Is that when you give, it, there are people who are not saved, who are generous people who still live within the truth of that reality. You don't have to be a Jesus follower to give and be blessed. It's just one of those laws of God's universe. But that's not the heart behind why we want to be a generous church. We don't preach give to get. We preach get to give. And that actually works in two different capacities. Number one, it's a privilege. We get to give. It's not something that we have to do. It's not something that we, by religious law we have to do. It's something that is a privilege that we get to participate in. But even more than that, like it's a strategy. Like it's a business strategy, it's a budgeting strategy, it's a, it's a stewardship strategy so that we as a church, we get, we gather so that we can give. We, do, we work our tails off to create resource, not so that we can be on Pimp My Ride or Come and Look at My Crib or I don't even know if those exist anymore, but, but so that we can have the resources to fund the kingdom of God. Because the reality is we can talk about how we don't need this and we don't need that. We don't need buildings. We don't whatever. But the, at the end of the day, we're going to do whatever the heck it takes to put people in a position to show up somewhere, to build relationship, to hear about Jesus. And it is going to take resource. And God has blessed every single person. And those that you don't think you have yet, you need to know that he wants to. He wants to know if he has your heart so that he can entrust his riches in your hands. Because he's not trying to bless you so that you can be rich. He's trying to fund the kingdom of God through his children. Could he do it by himself? He could do a lot of things by himself. Why did he start the church? That was a ridiculous idea. Because we screw it up all the time. He could have just done it himself remotely. But no, he wants to work through his children. So if it's all, if giving is all about the heart, then we, we, today I'm going to give you just a couple of things on how we can prepare our heart um, to be the vessels that God is looking for. So here, here's the first one. We're going to go, oh, y'all going to like this. We're going to go to Deuteronomy. Some of you are like, I've never heard of that word in my life. That's okay. It's the fifth book of the Bible. You go all the way to the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, boom, Deuteronomy. That's where we're going. Chapter 15. And so here, here, here's the first point for our note takers. And which should be everybody. Here's the first point for our note takers. Is that deal with a selfish heart. Deal with a selfish heart. We got to deal with it. You're like, well, how dare you call me selfish? If you're a human being, come on. Come on, don't play games with me. Don't act like you're not. If you're a human being, there is selfishness inside of you. Maybe not as much as there used to be. But there's still some there. we got to deal with it. I've got to deal with a selfish heart in my own life. You've got to deal with the things in your life that are connected to a selfish heart. So I want, to, I want to check this out. We're going to this passage in Deuteronomy 15 that is, is, is speaking to the nation of Israel as they are, again, moving in and establishing themselves within, uh, within the promised land. They've been brought out of slavery. They've been brought out of Egypt. Now they're in the promised land. And so they, there are some things in place that God has established for his people, even that carries over for us, so that we know how to trust God and how to treat people. So we're dealing with a selfish heart. Here's the verse, starting in verse 7 of chapter 15. 
It says, but if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land, of the, in the, land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted. Somebody say hard-hearted. The rest of you say hard-hearted. Come on, y'all got to help me out today. Or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous. The New King James Version there says, you shall open your hand wide. What a great picture of generosity. Stinginess means close-fisted. Generosity means open-handed. It says, and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year of canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. So here's the thing. In Israel, this was within their law. Every seven years in Israel, all debts were canceled. How many of you, let's vote. How many of you would like to go back to this particular process of, of debt and collection? And it's a beautiful thing because it, it, for the nation of Israel, for the people of God, it paints that heart that, that, that forgiveness is there. It's your, your debts, your sins, your whatevers are not always gonna be held against you. And so, for, so what, what, what God is speaking to the Israelites is say, okay, you know that in, on the seventh year, all debts are canceled. So when somebody who's in need comes up to you at, at 6.5 years of that seven, and they are in need, don't calculate in your head, there's only half a year before we get to the, de the debt cancellation period. They're probably not gonna be able to pay all this back. Uh, I don't think I wanna do this. That doesn't seem like it'd be a good move for me. Don't do that. God calls that evil. He calls that wickedness. Ultimately, he calls that sin because our, we're allowing hard-heartedness to keep us from giving what we can give for somebody else. We gotta deal with the selfish heart. Write this down if you are writing stuff down. Oliver, I'm referencing our note takers repeatedly today. We are born selfish. Anyone who, who has ever had kids, you know this is the gospel truth. We are born selfish, but we are born again generous. Let me say it again. We are born selfish. It's our nature. It's our sin nature. It's our human nature, unfortunately. But we are born again generous. Born again is what happens when you give your life to Jesus and you accept him to be the savior of your life. You are, the Bible says you are literally born again of a spiritual rebirth. Why? Because everything that was in you before is so broken. And God's not trying to fix your brokenness. He's trying to recreate you into a new creation. And so you were born selfish, but you were born again generous. The Bible actually says that we are partakers of God's divine nature, and God is generous. Therefore, we are born again generous. Now, now in all the selfishness that we need to deal with, i got to be honest, there is... Um, and I'll say this for, for the ladies today, there is a selfishness that I don't know if men will ever get over. And guys, we just gotta talk about this. I think it's real. Um, we, don't, we don't like to share food. Does anybody know this? We don't like to share. But when you have a spouse or you have children, inevitably, they want to eat something of what you have. They wanna sip. They don't want the whole thing. They just wanna bite. Actually, when we were just back east, uh, we went to dinner with a couple of friends. And and uh, they took us to this really cool place. And I haven't been eating a lot of super yummy things recently. And, uh, and it's, been, it's been paying off. But we decided, hey, we're going to have some fun while we're here. And I ordered a pizza. And it wasn't, I'm not talking Domino's or Little Caesars. I'm talking wood-fired, uh, you know, just, it's, it's like the best of the best. And, and it had meats on it. And it was delicious. And so when they were taking our order, I'm looking. I was like, well, it's either this or this. So I ordered a particular one. And then our friend sitting across the table was like, well, um, I'm torn between the one that he got and the one that, I'm got, that, I, that I'm gonna get, but since he got that one, I'll just have some of his and then and I'll order this one. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm sorry, you'll what? Because <laughs> I have a selfish heart. <laughs> and she was pregnant, so you know. I, was, I played nice, so I played nice. I'm like, oh, of course, what's mine is yours. And, you know, and it worked out great, and so clearly I'm still dealing with a selfish heart. And... Um, but that's just, that's just a real thing. But honestly, at the end of the day, it is something that we all, we can't just ignore. We can't pretend that it's not there. It doesn't mean that we are where we used to be, but we still can continually be dealing with the things in us that God's trying to get to. Amen? James chapter 3, verses 5 and 16, it says, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, 
Ooh, demonic. Good gosh. Just straight up dropping like demonic on you right there. Okay. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, which is the same as selfishness, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Ooh, James, that was heavy. But that's true. That's, God's trying to paint a picture here of the selfishness that we have to find, give to him, deal with, and get out of our lives. Because the, the, the more that we hang on to the selfish aspects of our heart, the more we will be closed off from what God is trying to get to at our hearts. Amen? All right, number two, deal with the grieving heart. So we're dealing with the selfish heart. Now we're dealing with a grieving heart. Verse 10, it says, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. Again, in the New King James, it says, your, your heart should not be grieved when you give. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Literally, again, in other translations, it says all your works, everything that you put your hands to. When you're not grieving, giving, it opens up for even more blessing in your life. God's going to bless everything you put your hands to. Ever, ever given and had something break after you gave? You're like, uh, you know, okay, I finally, you know, I gave a church and, um, and then like the car breaks down. You're like, well, dang it, shouldn't have given. Now, now I don't have that money. I thought God was going to bless me if I gave. Now my car's, you know, and, you, and, and grief literally comes into your heart immediately because you start thinking, man, I, w- I shouldn't have given because now I've got to deal with this. We, we've got to deal with, with grief. And um, selfishness attacks us before we give, but grief attacks you after you give. And again, these are the two things that the enemy is going after when he's, when he's trying to deal with a giving heart within a Jesus follower. He wants you to be selfish that will keep you from giving. But if you finally get past the selfishness and decide to give, he wants to bring grief into the situation after you give. Because that will stunt you from wanting to do it again. And will completely lock back up what you just unlocked through the principles in the kingdom of God. Selfishness attacks us before we give, but grief attacks us after we give. We have to understand that there is an enemy towards us living the way that God asked us to live. Because he knows what happens. He knows that if, oh my gosh, if these people actually get what God is talking about and they begin to do the things that God says that they should do, I don't have a chance. So I've got to do everything in my power to trip them up, to make them doubt, to make them be selfish, to make them have grief, to make them have fear. Because if they have all those things, then they won't step into the things that that God's trying to get them to walk in. I don't want them to walk in freedom, but God wants them to walk in freedom. The enemy is afraid of you being a generous person because he knows exactly what's going to happen if you are. That's weirdest thought. Sometimes you have random thoughts and moments and you don't say them out loud, but just think like I'm, I'm, I'm a little hungry. After church, I'm thinking about like... Great, let's go out. Let's maybe go out to eat. Let's do something. We got five kids. That's not cheap, um, but I can't. Five people in our family. Wow. Thank you. Um, but the only problem is I don't. I don't have my wallet. So if um, oh, Keith, is this, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Thanks for giving me your wallet. Actually, yeah, that was totally planned. But but you get. Keith just willingly, do you know why he was able to respond just like that and give me something like that? Because it wasn't his. Keith, are you grieving over having to give that up? Are you good? Okay. He's not, he's not, there's no grief in what he just gave because he realized that even though that was totally planned, but to make the analogy, it wasn't his to begin with. When God asked you to give something to him, Grief happens when you think that you're having to give up something that belongs to you. When the reality is, is that everything that we have is already a gift from God. And so when we have that revelation in our life of anything, again, whether it's money, relationships, love, forgiveness, all these things that we should be living in a giving way, when we realize it's all a gift from God, we don't have grief in our heart when God says, hey, can you give me that? Because we're like, yeah, but God, you know, I worked really hard. I worked extra hours, been saving up. Um, You know, there's things that I want to do with this. He's like, no, that's fine. It's not yours. When we understand that what we have in our possession, whether material or whether spiritual, whether relational, doesn't actually belong to us, it frees us up to live in a reality that is much bigger than anything that we can imagine. Deal with a grieving heart. 
All right, here's, here's, here's the last. I'm going to fly through these last two, but you got to get these before we go today. So we, we're, we're dealing with two aspects, right? We're dealing with a selfish heart. We're dealing with a grieving heart. Now we need to develop. Now we're going to develop a generous heart. So in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, give him, it's talking about that person that just came and asked for a loan and, and, and now you're at that seventh month and not only in the seventh month are, is their debt forgiven, he's saying now give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor and your wine press. What? I'm already just forgiving the debt. Now you want me to give even more? Are you crazy, God? Have you lost your mind? No, he says, I want you to give him even more. Share with him some of the bounty which, with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Now check this out. Remember, we are born selfish. We're, we're born again generous. And when we are born again through salvation, we must pursue the process of spiritual development. When somebody gets saved, it's like somebody being born. Like your child isn't born, and then they come out like, Mom, Dad, hey, what's up? Hey, uh, I know we just got born, but I'm going to go out, apply for some jobs, look for some apartments. No, there's some development that has to happen, right? Like same thing spiritually. When you come to know Christ, it's not the same necessarily, uh, you know, period of, of development as with a human being, but there's development. You're saved. You just realize that you're forgiven. God loves you. And now we have to work on developing because what happened instantaneously on the inside has some work to do to get to the outside. Our spirit is instantly saved. Our soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions, the things that we wrestle with every day, like that needs time to develop. We have to develop a generous heart. Children, children tend to be uh, pretty selfish. Uh, some of the first words that they learn are mine and no. Like, no, hey, don't, don't touch that. No, okay. Hey, share that with your sibling. Mine, okay. That's fantastic. Um, just, you know, and then they don't, they're not even playing with it. It was actually, it was kind of like for me growing up after church, go home. My dad would fall asleep in the recliner watching golf. And I would, while he's asleep, I'm trying to reach the remote to change it over to a football game. And he wakes up for enough, enough time just to say, hey, hey, I'm watching that. <laughs> Falls back to sleep. Don't tell him about that, but I'm still in counseling for it. <laughs> but with children, though, children are, by nature, they're selfish. And you have to train them, don't you? You have to teach them. You have to discipline them. You have to show them a different way. You have to develop in them what's missing so that they will hopefully become productive adults who don't live as adults still saying mine. It's really cute when they're kids. Well, sometimes it's cute when they're kids. Sometimes it just makes your head spin and you want to put your face in the wall. But later when you reflect on it, you're like, oh, I remember when they used to fight over those toys. That was cute. It's not cute in the moment. But when we become adults, it's not really cute anymore. It's not cute to live in a, in, a, in a faux reality from what God is trying to do inside of us. We need to develop a generous heart. Something that's been really cool, and I want to brag on my kids. Like some, you know, Sometimes they get picked on for me because they provide endless analogies uh, for spiritual principles. But, um, but last year, in our, in our first heart for the house last year, because what we do is we say, hey, during the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to pray for specific things. And next week, we'll actually be able to give out uh, prayer cards so that you will, for each day, there's a focus that we can all be unified together with in prayer. And then at the end of that time, uh, we're also praying and asking God, hey, um, all right, what do, you, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to sow into heart for the house? And so for our kids, they, they all independently prayed and came to us and they told us these, these amounts that God put on their heart. Now, for our youngest one, he had no job, and so what he has is what he has, but he's like, all of it. I'm like, really? I was like, is that what God told you, or, or is that just, you're just kind of feeling it in the moment? You're feeling inspired? He's like, no, I prayed, and I feel like God told me all of it. And I'm like, okay, bud, well, that's, that's your call. And he did, and you know what happened? Like, God has blessed him throughout this last year, and like he's only, at the time 11, he's only 12. And then our daughter, she's like, I feel like God asked me to do this. I'm like, man, wow, okay. When I was your age, I wasn't thinking about that at all, I would have definitely rebuked the devil if, if God had tried to tell me that. And then, and then, you know, Cole, our oldest son, comes. He's like, man, I, and he and Kate were working. They have a job, but still have responsibilities. And he comes up, and he's at the age he's got a car, even a car payment. You know, he's establishing himself. He's, you know, starting to prove things and be, you know, be responsible as an adult. And he's like, man, I really feel like God asked me to give, you know, this amount. I'm like, wow. Like, he, as an adult, I feel like adults would have been challenged with that. And, uh, and, and so watching them be faithful to that and watching the way that God has blessed my children over this last year because they have decided that they weren't just going to give God their spiritual heart, they were going to give God everything. And I'm telling you, if, if, ch if children can grasp it, 
than adults. And I know sometimes in the adult world, we got to process different thoughts, right? We're like, yeah, but that's cute that they're kids and they're doing that, but do they have a mortgage? Do they have this? Do they have whatever? You know, I get that. I understand because that's, you know, we're the adult. That's our reality. That's our world. But the moment that we begin to say, God, there, there's no obstacle that I'm, that I'm going to believe that you can't come through in. Man, I'm telling you, it begins to unlock something that you can't even imagine. So we've developed a, a generous heart, but lastly, and this is where we'll finish, we got to develop a grateful heart. Generosity is always going to come naturally when we have a heart that is grateful. It says in verse 15 of that same chapter, it says, remember. So all this thing, hey, don't be stingy, don't be close-handed, don't be hard-hearted. When somebody's in need, give with an open hand, you know, don't be close-handed. And if it's almost that time where you need to forgive the debt, don't let that evil, wicked thought come into you that says, I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to get my money back. Because we don't, we don't give so that we can get, we get to give. Develop a grateful heart. So God speaks to the Israelites and he says, remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. And that is why I am giving you this command. This command that he's talking about is the command of generosity. It's the command of having an open heart and allowing God to, to work through your resources so that other people can be impacted. Now, the, the key words there were slave, redeemed, command. Now here's, here's a reality. And here, none of us were slaves in Egypt. But we were all slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6 says that we were all slaves to sin. But God redeemed us. How did he redeem us? By paying the biggest price possible, the life of his son. And because of the redemption that we have experienced or that you get to experience through Christ, we now have this command to live generously towards others in every aspect of our life. Why? Because it demonstrates the heart of God. Um, it's easy. Babe, do you want to come on up? It's easy to, to be grateful when you remember where God brought you from. We, um, a few years back, Karen and I were pastoring the church in Montana, Kalispell, Montana. And one of the things that God did in us, but also through us at that church, was um, they had gone through a season where, in all reality, the gospel was not being preached. Nobody was getting saved. Nobody was having that opportunity. It was just, it had, it had to a degree, turned into something that was, kind of like a country club for the Christians. Let's just talk about the deep spiritual things. Let's gather and circle the horses and let's do the things that make us comfortable. And, and so we stepped in to take the church and uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but one thing I did know is that I wanted people to know Jesus. And so we started, uh, we started communicating in a different way and very much like we do every week at Convo Church and like I'm gonna do here in just about two or three minutes, we, I started ending every single message with an opportunity for somebody to receive Christ. And, you know, there were, there were literally, I don't know if it was months, but it felt like months of doing that where there was zero response. And, you know, as a preacher, it's like, 30 more seconds, 30 more seconds. <laughs> Dear God, please. No, and I remember one Sunday, this one hand in the back goes up. And then there was not another week after that where there weren't at least one or more people that were giving their life to Jesus. And, and this gentleman, in, in a, in a, hopefully in an innocent way, one day he piped up actually in a public meeting, a public conversation. And he says, Pastor, just want you to know, we, you know when somebody complains and they say we, it's usually like them and one other person. We're really getting tired of the salvation message. We'd really like it if you would move on into some deeper things. And of course, in that moment, the honest truth is every ounce of flesh was multiplying inside of me. I wanted to take the podium and throw it directly towards him like a pass with a football, but I did not do that. But inside of me, I realized something. I realized that I was, before I was where he was, my, my heart and my mind was not on where God brought me from, or even for that matter, having a passion for where God was trying to bring other people from. And God had been doing a work in my wife and myself, and honestly, I bring her into the picture. She was already there, but I'm a little bit slow, and God had to do a work in me. And God, I literally, I began to ask God and pray this prayer that at the time I thought was innocent. I had no idea the consequences. And I began to say, God, would you, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Would you help me to see people the way that you see them? And not only did God do that, but he also allowed me to see myself from the context of where he brought me. 
And he said, listen, Craig, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't party like other people did. Maybe, maybe I didn't bring you out of drug addiction and alcohol addiction. Maybe I didn't bring you out of an abusive situation. Maybe you weren't, all these things. But you were just as lost as anybody else. Just because you were religious doesn't mean that you were better than those who were brought up in different situations. And God began to give me a revelation of from how far I had been saved. And you know what? I haven't gotten over it since. And I, and I hope I never do. Because when you develop a grateful heart, you're not being grateful about things. Things come and go. You're not grateful about seasons of life and situations and what makes you happy because happiness depends on what happens to you. You develop a grateful heart when you realize what God has done in you. When you realize that, hey, it's not just a metaphor, you were a slave to sin, a slave. That means you were living in something where it had dominion over you and you didn't even feel like you had a choice. You were a slave to sin and God came in and he didn't just free you, he bought you. That's what it means to be redeemed. God bought you. And not with money, not with currency, he bought you with his life. He said, you deserve death for your life, so I'm gonna provide that death by giving up my own life. And he goes, and now that I own you because I bought you, now I'm setting you free. That's redemption. And I pray as a church, come on, I pray we never get over that. I pray you never get over being saved. I pray you never think that for one moment, that salvation is a simple little thing. Salvation's not deep. Let's move into the deep things. There's nothing deeper than the miraculous transformation of a soul being transformed in eternity. You can't make disciples without somebody first knowing who Jesus is. Develop a grateful spirit, grateful heart, sorry. So I hope you got something out of this today. We're, we will, the next, I dare you to miss church for the next three weeks. I dare you to miss church for the next three weeks. If you're not interested in unlocking the heart that we're talking about today, then it will be a great three weeks to go on a, on a, a three-week church hiatus vacation and not show up because what we're gonna be throwing out to you is gonna be stuff that's gonna take you to the next level. If that's not interesting to you, stay home. Don't listen to the podcast because it's gonna be dangerous. It's gonna be dangerous what God's gonna unlock in your life. And I'm telling you where we're going as a church and I'm not even talking about a geographic location. I'm talking about vision. I'm talking about obedience. I'm talking about the things that God's gonna use this church to do in our region and beyond. Where we're going, we need our heart to be in the right place. Can you bow your heads? I'm gonna pray for you. I did take a couple extra minutes. I appreciate your hindsight generosity. But it was important, for, it was important to lay this framework today. Everything else that we talk about for the next for the next three weeks is gonna be based off of uh, it being all about our heart. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you wanna sow into the ministry, go to convochurch.com and simply click the give button, it's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.